Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Ball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Good morning, everybody, and welcome into Inside the Clubhouse, a very intriguing week in baseball's hot stove season. With lots of uh, national news and the locals involved in different ways. And we'll talk about it with you for the next couple hours with my guy, Bruce Levine. What's up, Bruce? Matt Spiegel, it's always a pleasure doing this show. Uh, Sunday, Saturday mornings, 9 to 11, every week as we talk the big subjects this week. Certainly Machado, Harper, uh, very hot topics that we'll discuss with you at 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 6711. And Matt, uh, by the way, Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's. They wish you a happy holiday season in Northbrook, your top restaurant, bakery, and deli in the Chicagoland area. They remind you that catering in the restaurant party rooms are available now for all of your holiday special events, or business meetings. Ask for John at MaxAndBennies.com. The party rooms are uh, can accommodate 10 to 150 people for all your special events. Soup season is here. The freshest and healthiest soups warm the body and make your day at Max and Benny's. Combine that with build your own salad to start your day and end your evening at Max and Benny's. Dinners from 4 to 9 p.m. seven days a week. The best deli in America, Bakery goods and breads to die for. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Love you. Some Max and Benny's in Northbrook. Manny Machado was my day on, um, I believe, Monday. Was it Monday or yeah. Tuesday? Might have been, but would you summarize your reporting from the week on Machado in terms of local and what we know now for the state of the Manny Machado market? Well, Manny Machado was in town Monday uh, at. Um, Guaranteed rate field to be uh, walked around and talked to and dealt with. They went to four other venues, one for lunch, one for dinner. Um, they showed them hmm. the Chicago area, him and his wife, the Chicago area, his, age, his agent, Dan Lozano, also along for the ride. Ricky Renneria was in the host car with Machado and his wife and his agent as they... Um, Gave them the Cook's Tour of Chicago, impressed them with what the ballpark was all about, what the facilities were all about. By the way, I picture you up in a tree with binoculars trying to get every possible angle on the situation. It was me and uh, two of my buds from uh, NBC Chicago, uh, NBC Sports Chicago, uh-huh. uh, both uh, camera guys, um, and... Uh, Corby and uh, Eric were the guys, and it was just us. We were actually sitting behind the ballpark. One of the camera guys was in front of the ballpark, one in back with me. Uh, eventually, security was very nice, came around and said, please leave the premises. 
But you're on of Manny Machado's stakeout, and you, you and, got the and information. Eventually, we uh, we found Manny walking in. We had to be on public property. Uh, the camera guys were able to get their picture. I got a, a picture for Twitter that I put up, and that was the extent of it. We were not allowed to approach uh, the ballpark area. We were not allowed to approach Machado, and that was the extent of the reporting of three hours standing outside, you know, Good times. You do. <laughs> you do what you must. Yeah. And now we know he has met with the Yankees and been courted by them. He's met with the Phillies and been courted by them. Yeah. And he appears to be done. Those are the three options, right? He spent five hours with the Phillies on uh, Thursday. On Wednesday, it was misreported that he only spent an hour and a half with the Yankees. He actually spent four and a half hours with the Yankees. Three hours were not reported, according to my sources, uh, they took him and wined him and dined him, and it was not reported in New York. Uh, so it made it look like it was just a peripheral gathering, but in reality, there was another three hours. So each team met with him for four and a half to five hours. Then Machado said yesterday mm-hmm. uh, through friends that um, he will make his decision after January 1st. So this is where we are. And how real are the White Sox as a possibility? They're, it, 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 they seem extremely viable. They have built right. – you know what they've done, Bruce? I was thinking about it. They've built a nest for Manny Machado. It's a conversation that I've had in NBA terms through the years. Like, are right, you going to have to attract the free agents, so you better get some good peripheral pieces. You better make it appetizing. They've built themselves a nest for Manny Machado, replete with his brother-in-law mentor, Yonder Alonso, who's going to join us on this show, by the way, next hour right here on The Score. And they've tried to make it as appetizing as possible for Manny Machado. And I think they've done a pretty damn good job of it. If they've been targeting him specifically, it makes a lot of sense. Well, the, the message is out there. And Bob Nightingale will join us from USA Today at the 10, 10 o'clock hour as well. And his reporting initially on it was that the White Sox are in on both guys, but that um, they're not going to set any world records as far as uh, going 10, 12, 13 years. So the, the reported 10-year deals that initially were out there or 12 or 13-year deals since Giancarlo Stanton signed one right. uh, three years ago. Those were just aspirations from the players I or agents' so. perspectives, right? So. Yeah, but, I mean, it only takes one team to come up with that, but why would why would a, a franchise bid more years and more money against themselves uh, they they probably learned from prior situations, uh, including the Alex Rodriguez deal in 2000, where uh, that time um, the owner bid three times against himself mm. before he got it done and ended up paying $252 million for 10 years. So as far as you've heard, there are no official offers at this point for either Machado or It hasn't or been Harper. reported. And according to the sources I talked to, it hasn't been offered. Now, that was yesterday. Uh, as of today... That could all change because if you see the wording in the Machado info that came out, it's, well, he'll make a decision after January 1st. Doesn't necessarily mean he has an offer, but he's going to, he's giving this 12 day period now between now and, and January 1st to get the bidding going. And again, is there going to be a 10 year deal for Machado or Harper? Uh, we, we have not talked about the big trade made between the Reds and the Dodgers. That supposedly can clear the way for some payroll and some 
uh, roster spots open for Harper with the Dodgers. Well, let's talk about that because a big deal yesterday, and it's 670 the score. The phone lines are open at 312-644-6767. Inside the clubhouse with me, Matt Spiegel, and him, Bruce Levine. The Cincinnati Reds add four big leaguers to try and be good or at least interesting in 2019. They get Yasiel Puig, they get Matt Kemp, they get Alex Wood, and the backup catcher Kyle Farmer. And the Dodgers get salary relief. Um, they also actually sent $7 million to Cincinnati in the deal. So Cincinnati's only adding a little bit of money. And they're getting Homer Bailey back, and they're expected to cut Homer Bailey and not have that money count against. So, yes, theoretically, this could clear enough space for them to sign Bryce Harper and be very close, if not still somehow under the de facto salary cap of the collective um, or, or the, the CBT. Um, but... But I've also read, Bruce, that they're not going to go over that tax this year, that it is acting as a real tax and that this is not about Harper. This is about making sure they stay comfortably underneath for it, this year. It, it may be that. Uh, there's also uh, the reporting out there that the people of interest might be Corey Kluber uh, of the Indians instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be JT Real, Real Muto, the catcher with the Marlins, who is uh, very uh, easy to retain uh, to obtain if you want to give up a lot of prospects for him, um, and they still have those, and they got two more from right, the Reds, right? And both of those guys have a, a couple years left on their contracts, so those are difference makers. One a catcher, certainly, you know, Kluber, one of the top pitchers in the game, although he started to show a little bit of wear and tear last year. No. So, mm-hmm. so from from that perspective, you know, would the Dodgers be a better team adding Kluber? Uh, taking on his salary, trading young prospects, uh, as opposed to adding the sexier piece in Harper, who they've certainly cleared some spots for, trading uh, Puig and um, um, and Kemp. Kemp. Um, there was a pitch that the Dodgers sent to potential investors, and this was reported uh, a, a few weeks back. And in that pitch, it said that they plan to keep the payroll at around $185 million for the next two years. The tax was what, 206 Or it's going to be yeah, 206 it's going to be at 206 206 So, and, and there's speculation that perhaps next year, when they have a lot more money coming off the books, Rich Hill will come off the books, David Freeze and others, they could be active in next year's free agent market, which includes folks, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Chris Sale. Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon. So it's a it's a real serious market next year, too. Bruce, I said last week that my gut was saying Harper goes to the Dodgers, Machado goes to the Yankees. As we sit here a week later, I still am there. Even with all the caveats we just put right. out about the Dodgers, it still feels most likely. Where are you? Yeah. Well, you know, with the Dodgers, do you think that they're they're sizing up their division? Arizona was uh, the front runner in that division for three months. They folded completely, and now they they're in a rebuild. They've gone backwards, They've losing gone backwards. Corbin Colorado's and Colorado's big sign so far is uh, Daniel Murphy to play first base. Uh, it's a it's a nice signing. He hasn't played there. Um, he, you know, he's a good player. Certainly helped the Cubs out for about two weeks before uh, his legs gave out on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Maybe the Dodgers are looking at their market much like the Indians are and saying, you know, we got a bunch of teams here that aren't really a big challenge. Why should we push it over 
the threshold and pay a tax when in reality, if we win 95 games instead of 100, we're still going to win the division. Yeah, we can get a little bit worse and yeah. stay and keep ourselves and, from getting into the tax. Right. I mean, I think that's that's the approach we're seeing from Cleveland where they've moved a lot of parts around and saved $18 million in payroll doing it. And, you know, we still have, you know, like 52 days until opening day. So there's a lot of moves that still can be made. But mm-hmm. uh, none, of, none of these things necessarily point to Harper Machado getting – 10-year deals from any team right now. The, if if I had to guess a team outside of Dodgers-Yankees that's going to overpay and force their way in, it's the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, I mean, well, because the owner promised that he was going to spend stupid money. Right. They've already done that and proved it by signing Andrew McCutcheon. For as long as they did. It's a, a longer deal than a, a guy of McCutcheon's skill and, yeah. and age. I mean, I, whatever happened to one year with an option rather than three years for $50 million? Mm-hmm. Uh, McCutcheon's a nice player. Not the superstar he was, more like a platoon player probably right now, but obviously uh, they've improved themselves at three positions. Defensively, they were one of the worst teams in baseball. So in left field, you have McCutcheon. Uh, you move your left fielder to first base, yeah. and he's one of the top players in the game. And then you, uh, you've you added uh, a new shortstop as well. So uh, th- those are some of the, the moves that uh, Philadelphia have made to get better. Uh, will the stupid money be Harper or Machado? Will they outbid everybody for them? Uh, certainly as a hitter, the ilk of Machado and of Harper, if you go to Philadelphia, you're going to hit a lot of home runs. You're going to hit a ton of home runs there. It's one of the easiest home run parks there. Uh, they have decent pitching. They folded up last year after the first four months of the season, ended up actually under 500 uh, after leading the division for a long time. Uh, They need some help. This hour of the score is being brought to you by Webb Chevy. Searching for a great deal on Chevys in Chicago, visit Webb Chevy in Plainfield or Oak Lawn. Also this hour, Kevin Goldstein, our old friend from years ago when he was at Baseball Prospectus and ESPN, is now the Director of Pro Scouting and Assistant General Manager for the Houston Astros, a World Series ring winner. Kevin Goldstein's going to be on in about 20 minutes as well. And we need to move in some conversation about the Latest things that occurred with uh, Addison Russell's former wife. We do. And uh, talk about that. As much as I prefer talking about sports, uh, it is about roster situations with the Chicago Cubs and the impact and the pressure, uh, new pressure put on the Chicago Cubs with this revelation. The and Yes, very much so. We will talk about that. And we will talk about the St. Louis Cardinals additions uh, and more. And your phone calls are welcome and elemental to the completion of the broadcast at 312-644-6767. As Bruce and I were talking before the show, the names, these three names, Rowan Wick, Justin Steele, and Daniel Descalso. Those are the three additions to the 40-man roster of the Chicago Cubs in this, frankly, very dispiriting offseason so far. 52 days left, though, before uh, pitchers and catchers report. Lots of time. Well, but um, Andrew Miller's the, in St. Our, Louis. Andrew Miller's in St. Louis. Paul uh, Goldschmidt's in St. Louis. There, there's, there are additions that have been made, but um, you know, the, the intel on the Cubs is that they don't have a lot of money to spend and that they're not going to spend a ton of money. Now, we haven't heard any blustering from agents saying that the Cubs aren't in. Uh, we've never heard uh, Scott Boris saying that he's disappointed that 
a big market team like the Cubs have not been participating. So there is that hope of hope hmm. uh, with the new TV money that's being projected with the announcement of the two regionals, uh, with the Cubs uh, having a separate regional, the White Sox, Bulls, and Hawks having their own. That's an entirely separate storyline that you were part of breaking the news of this week as well. Right. And uh, what type of money will be there uh, projected from uh, 2020 on when the when the Cubs start their regional, the White Sox, Bulls, and Hawks regional begin in October of 2019. So mm. the, the Cubs will actually go dark from October of 2019 till February 2020 because they don't uh, need to be on the air. Uh, they have time to start their new regional, and their season doesn't start until two months after the February 2020 launching of the new network. Before we take a break, um, that that Andrew Miller deal, if he is himself, if he is Andrew Miller, and he wasn't this past year, no. then the Cardinals have fixed what was their biggest weakness. I, I don't know if you saw these numbers, Bruce. Their left-handed relievers last year in baseball, and Kevin Wheeler had tweeted this out from St. Louis, their left-handed relievers were 27th in ERA, 30th in FIP, 29th in K-rate, and 29th in walk rate. Their lefty relievers were awful. And if Andrew Miller is himself, the Cardinals have radically changed and helped their bullpen, obviously. I'm sure they did their due diligence as far as that goes, Matt, because uh, it was not an arm injury, uh, but more a knee problem that has impacted Miller. And there's a tremendous amount of wear and tear on Miller, who's arguably one of the the top uh, middle relievers, late-inning specialists, uh, of the game over the last five or seven years. Yeah, he might be the best yeah. bullpen weapon in uh, what is now um, the, the way that modern bullpens right. are run. So if you're looking at the 2016 version, the Cardinals have taken a huge step forward. If you're looking at 2018, you're wondering if that knee's going to hold up and you are going to be the guy that you were in the past. All right, in about 20 minutes, the special assistant to the GM in charge of player personnel. That is the official title of Kevin Goldstein of the Houston Astros. He'll join us. Um, so, And then next hour, Bob Nightingale from USA Today. And uh, also will be joined by Yonder Alonzo, your newest Chicago White Sox. Maybe he'll have some intel for us about Manny Machado's next step. Your phone calls and more uh, coming up next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Home is where you want to be when you start at home plate. You get on base however you can, Bruce. Steve Rosenblum uh, in the house. Yes. Raring to go at 11 o'clock along with you, Matt. Yes, bothering us and damaging our conversation during the commercial break. It was it was easily damaged. <laughs> this 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 is true. Um, boy, it's it's just awkward watching the Cubs division get better while the Cubs do not. But again, you you don't you don't hold out hope that uh, there are improvements to come. That the supposed uh, money crunch that they're in might be alleviated at some point here. That they will be able to uh, look at the front office and ownership and say. You know, we can go over the threshold this year and not be penalized more than 15 cents on a dollar. Last year, the Red Sox were one of two teams to go over the competitive balance tax. And they paid a fine of what? About 11, 11 million? million. 11 yeah. million. Nothing. Not, yeah. n- nothing for them in the grand scheme. 
Now this year they clean their glasses with eleven million dollars. And this year, um, thanks for changing that metaphor, yeah. by the way. Uh, this year they are going to make sure that they stay under. And so uh, the Cubs, maybe th- we thought that this would be the year they'd be willing to go over, and then they'd finagle to right. get back under for next year because that second year it starts to really cost well, you. You know, of course, the underlying story to all this, Matt, is that uh, we're looking at a strike lockout situation in 2021 because of the fact that uh, to the Players Association, this is collusion, okay, that they're colluding to stay under this amount, uh, and that they're not going to go over. There's no floor, meaning that there's no amount of money that teams have to spend uh, at the very minimum. So this makes what was once a very soft cap into a very hard cap. And that's what they're going to be fighting over in 2021, where you may see a lockout or a strike or any combination of uh, no games on the field in after 2021. But you know, for now, what it is is it's just a very strong, hawkish market for owners, and they are in firm control of what's going on. Only six contracts so far, Matt, more than two years mm-hmm. uh, in the offseason here. We're now uh, two and a half months into the offseason. So it, it's continuing a trend from last year where there were only, I think, f- three contracts over four years given out last season. So there, 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 there is that trend out there. Now, the, the way that this is not collusion for ownership uh, is the fact that they are offering uh, in these contracts what is good money. There is not, they're, they're not offering contracts that are uh, substandard to what the, the general amount is that's being paid out there right mm-hmm. now. They're just choosing to pay very few people those large amounts. Bruce, um, when when Addison Russell uh, had his domestic abuse allegations made public and when it became in the hands of Major League Baseball and eventually the suspension that came down, and frankly, even before that, when we would hang out at the ballpark doing our jobs and hear conversation and hear whispers, I certainly thought they were going to cut Addison Russell. They chose not to do that. They tendered him a contract and released that statement, and he released a statement concurrently, and they handled it the way they did. But now this week, even more details have come out as Melissa Reedy continues to speak on it and use her voice to feel empowered, to get a message out of potentially helping people, and to speak her truth. And as she has done that, the details and context of what Addison Russell did while an employee of the Chicago Cubs have come to light, and they are ugly, very personally distasteful, increasingly ugly, shameful. Um, and and it. do you think that the Cubs are rethinking the strategy that they took before they decided to tender him a contract? Because I think if they had known all this was going to come out or if all this had been out before they made that decision, I wonder if it would have been different. You're right, Matt. Uh, I mean, it, it is disconcerting to have to deal with new allegations from time to time. Uh, Certainly, former Mrs. Russell has a right to say whatever she wants. That's part of what our country is all about, that you can tweet and say whatever you feel is true and that makes you feel good. It empowers you. It uh, helps you from a situation that was not good for you to feel better and to help people out. Um, 
you you, you want to draw the line at um, what is that and what is self serving. Okay, you you want to draw the line at uh, who stands up for Addison Russell. You want to draw the line at uh, uh, the accepted divorce decree and settlement and the accepted uh, status of him as getting a contract from the Cubs and that he's adhering to the MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, um, domestic abuse rules that are in place. Well, he's, and, do, he's doing that. He, yeah, right. He, he's so absolutely so these, these, are, these, are, these are not things that just happened. These are just new allegations that occurred um, a couple of years ago or more. And uh, certainly former Mrs. Russell's right to say that and to get that out there and to feel good about where she's at and try to help other people. Um, somebody also has to advocate for Addison Russell. Well, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what advo- advocacy he requires. Th- these are old. I don't think he requires. Are, these are situations that happened years ago. Uh huh. Okay. But it, it, I so guess they're new, they're new allegations. They're, they're new allegations. Right. They're new allegations and pointed at where? They're, they're, where what is the significance of them? The significance of them is, is it's part of Melissa Reedy's story that she okay. is wanting to tell right. and, and telling. Okay. The, the, the question fine. is, Bruce, whether, mean, the, whether the employer, the Cubs, are comfortable uh, employing a guy who has all this stuff out there with. And well, your, then your, your, fans assumption, are thinking your assumption about is it. that they didn't know about this. Well, no, my actually, my only assumption is that they did not think it was going to get out. If so, if they did know or did not know, that what's different now after three days ago is that this is out and this is there for everyone to consume. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, it's um, I, I'm I'm an advocate for. Melissa, I'm an advocate for Addison. I'm an advocate for the truth. I'm an advocate for people saying what they want to say and feeling better about themselves, helping other people out, like Melissa believes she's doing. And I'm also an advocate for Addison doing what he was supposed to do in this therapy, uh, having done what he was supposed to do uh, getting his divorce and following through on that. Well, as long as so he, again, yeah. this new new information is something that occurred a long time ago. He's already going through rehabilitation. They've already that. made their decision. They have already released joint statements. They have decided to, I think, with uh, with uh, uh, with a clear. Uh, motivation, for, certainly from Theo Epstein's perspective, to try and work with Addison to help him realize right. um, the the disgusting manners of of his life in the past, and to improve and be accountable as a human being. And Melissa Reedy actually commented on that, said, "I'm glad that someone is still in his corner. That is the father of my son, uh, father of my child, and I'm glad that somebody is, is still believing in him." So I, I, I understood where the Cubs were, and I understood that if you're going to do it, you do it the way that they have done it. I just, at a certain point, there does come the question of whether you want to have someone who turns your fans off um, in, in, in such a deeply personal way, whether you want to deal with that as part of your organization. Well, and again, you know, you have to see where what they know which we don't okay 
did, did they know these allegations were out there? Did they know this was a part of the abuse involved? Was it Major League Baseball that handled this? Was do the Cubs have the intelligence on it? We I, we can't assume one way or the other that they knew or they didn't know that th- this information was out there. Well, uh, it, be, it, because is, it is there now. I mean, but it, it is, but it's for our consumption. As far as how the Cubs, what the Cubs knew and how they perceived this new information coming out, what type of pressure is on the ownership, mm-hmm. what type of pressure is on Mr. Epstein and Mr. Hoyer to not have to deal with this anymore. I, I agree it's information that doesn't help them. It doesn't help Addison Russell. Uh, it, it's only more um, more uh, intel as to what the abuse was all about. And uh, it, 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 it raises the, the, the question further to me, is, is it worth it? Is Addison Russell good enough? Is the asset good enough to be worth it? Um, and, and, you know, and that goes hand in hand with are you deciding to actually help a person and work on a person's improvement Again, from your, your perspective? Your, your perception of worth it in the Cubs, that, that, that's where, that's where we're, talk, we're talking about. Are you concerned about their perception or your perception of it? Well, I'm concerned. Uh, well, it's not that I'm con- I'm wondering from their perception if they think he as an asset is worth the hit that it will take um, with fan- with a fan base. And maybe it will not be yeah. that much of a I hit. I mean, we're all. Maybe that's the way any, that they. Any, and they're comfortable with any that. sane person who's looking at this is uncomfortable hearing this, okay? Hearing what occurred, uh, getting more details about what occurred according to. To Melissa. Now, uh, if you're not uncomfortable with it, there's something wrong with you. Uh, as to what the Cubs knew before mm-hmm. or now, that's you know that's for us to try to generally hear about. If he gets released in the next week, ten days, two yeah. weeks, um, then we'll know that uh, your perception is actually actually right, and that there's just way too much of this for it to be worth it for them. Let's squeeze in a couple calls real quick before we take a break, and then we'll talk to uh, Kevin Goldstein of the Astros. But first, this is Tom in Plainfield. Go ahead, Tom. You're on the score. Hey, good morning. Um, my, my question for you is when the Cubs were on their World Series run and they went out and got to Roldis Chapman, who was uh, had gone through a very similar situation. Um, it had been behind him, but we knew everything about it. I don't remember there being this much of an uproar. There was. I was on the air. There was absolutely. There was even more of an uproar because it was. It was. It was black and white and had been out there. Well, but was there more acceptance of Chapman? Well, because because, because it wasn't one of your own and it was a rental. And what else was going on? They were really, really good and going for the World Series, and he was incredibly effective and important along the way. Bill in Roscoe Village on the score. Hello, Bill. Morning, guys. Morning. You know, I think it's important to note that he, this young man has issues, right? What he's done is terrible, but this, as a culture, we're trying to look at what people's conduct and, and say, okay, how can we rehabilitate them now? And everybody, you know, everybody looks at this stuff and say, well, just discard him. And I, I am a Cub fan, I'll admit to that, but I don't think you should discard anybody. I think there's real efficacy in the idea that MLB and the Cubs knew about this stuff. This woman can say what she wants, describe what happened to her. It's terrible. No one's discounting that. But in order for him to go on and be an effective member of society, I think he should be treated just the way somebody who was on cocaine or steroids back in the 70s or 80s or 90s 
was treated. He should be given an opportunity to rectify his behavior and, and move forward. I know, I know you're not equating the, the offenses with, with, with the drugs, but I understand what you're saying about what do you give up on somebody? And the Cubs are choosing not to give up on him as a person. They've got a, a, a big mental skills department. They've shown uh, a, a desire to really help right. with, I, their, you know, with their Matt, players all every step of the way. Matt, what you're saying is, and, and I agree with you on this, is it's distasteful to hear this, okay? It's horrible to hear it. It's horrible to hear the exact description from Melissa of some of the abuse. And uh, the, the assumption here is that he's done something again. And that's wrong. That's wrong because he has not done something. No, again. but 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 this if, this is this happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, but it, this doesn't read this even more okay. doesn't read like a mistake or like one no, time. But, this but, reads but like a, a pathology. Is, Bruce. The, the assumption is is that the Cubs didn't know about this, and that the, this is just more uh, this is more fi- more fire going on, more uh, things that are going to make this worse than it already is. Um, Again, we're all for Melissa coming out and and helping people and herself feel better about what occurred, hundred uh, percent. But uh, should he be continued to be punished for something that he's already going through rehabilitation for right now? Well, in that sense, it's already been tried. It's just that this has revealed this revealed a pathology. As I was saying, this has revealed a right. a, a deeper. A deeper problem there, it uh, makes than perhaps it seem, anyone realized. And makes, if they did realize that the problem was this big, then they should have been more active It makes about it, it seem to me like people are saying this is something that he did recently. No, it's not. It just, I know, it just I know, but that's, further that, is, that is the feeling out there. Like, we now know he tackled her, okay? This is no good. Um, this is something that they shouldn't have accepted. They should have released him right away when that was part of it, Okay. But again, I'm less concerned, by the way, with the tackling than I am of what he said after he tackled right, her, which is again, why. Hold on, Bruce. Uh, yeah. Which is why he said, why are you doing this? You are pushing my buttons. Is this the way you want me to be? That is such a deep um, psychological right. problem that he is was clearly in the midst of then. That takes a lot of work to try and change that mindset. It's new information. And accountable. Again, it's new information about something that happened years ago. It is 670 The Score. We will talk to Bob Nightingale at the top of the hour. Uh, We will talk to Yonder Alonzo next hour of the White Sox. When we come back, our old friend Kevin Goldstein um, uh, from the Houston Astros, special assistant to the GM for personnel. Keep it right here on 670 The Score. It is 670 The Score inside the clubhouse with me, Matt Spiegel, and him, Bruce Levine. And we'll talk to Bob Nightingale, top of the hour. Yonder Alonso, the newest Chicago White Sox player and Manny Machado's brother-in-law. Did you guys hear that? He's related to Manny Machado. He's going to join us in about one hour. But first, Bruce, let's talk to uh, a guy uh, that used to come on and help break down prospects when we had never heard of them, uh, when the Cubs or White Sox would make a trade. And then he went and, uh, and got into the business in a way that most of us uh, have only dreamed of. Now he's special assistant to the general manager, in charge of personnel with the Houston Astros, it is World Series ring owner Kevin Goldstein joining us. Hello, Kevin. What's up, Speaks? How you been? I'm good, man. Thank you uh, for the time. It's it's an interesting interesting time here in baseball. I'm I'm wondering how much of what you did 
as a writer, as a baseball prospectus guy, as a media guy, how much of what you did directly it correlates to what you do now for a big league ball club? I, I think it did more in maybe my early years with the Astros and in, in terms of, of kind of the, the thing was, is I, I, I tried to keep up with what was going on in baseball, what was going on with scouting by having uh, a, a set of contacts across major league baseball. And instead of leveraging those to inform fans, now I'm kind of leveraging those to inform my bosses. And at the same time, I was given my own cadre of scouts to who I could uh, assign to, to certain responsibilities to also give me the information that I needed to make sure we were making good decisions. Uh, over time, that's evolved uh, quite a bit. I think there was still that bit of a, I don't know, that, that, that kind of uh, special investigator where you're making sure uh, when you talk about us bringing on players that you're making sure you're bringing a guy who's going to fit into your clubhouse well. Uh, a guy who's going to take to, I don't know, maybe the way the Astros do things in terms of information, take to that kind of thing well. So those kind of things still definitely come up. But, but uh, you know, I think every the way I look at baseball and the way I think about baseball on every angle has changed dramatically uh, in my six-plus years with Houston. Kevin, uh, let's, let's look at things the Astros way. And I find some of the things very intriguing that you've been able to help add and uh, be a part of uh, since you've been uh, – there with them and let's let's look at the uh Justin Verlander situation. Verlander had certainly had one of the more successful careers of any pitcher uh, on a Hall of Fame track and then in Detroit you know had a couple bumps in the road, got a little bit better and then got traded to you guys. Can you uh fill us in on some of the things that you informed Verlander of in a metrics way that helped him regain and in some ways be even a more effective pitcher than he was when he was younger? Well, I, I think the first all the credit has you have to give to goes to Justin Verlander and goes to, to our pitching coaches you know, led by Brent Strom. But at the same time, when you know we look at pitchers a, a specific way, I'm not going to give away too much of the... It's okay. It's, yeah, nobody's it's listening. No, about, no one's. It's just yeah, us. We don't spend a lot of time trying to make pitchers or pitches better, You know, trying to improve the quality of the pitch, it's more about letting a guy maximize his existing abilities based on sequencing, usage, and location. And, and uh, that's really what it's about. And, and you know, I think you've got to give Verlander especially a ton of credit. This is a guy who's won multiple Cy Youngs, guys won MVP awards. And the fact that he came to us and he had every right to say, I'm Justin Verlander, shut up, dorks. And, and he didn't. You know, he, he said, you know, what do you got? Let's, let's see what you got. What do you think I can do? And then was very open-minded to it and, and worked his butt off and and we saw some immediate results, and then thrilled he's going to front our rotation along with Garrett Cole again this year. Charlie Morton has gone to the Tampa Rays, but he was brilliant for you guys. Garrett Cole was thought to be not quite living up to expectations in Pittsburgh. He gets to you, and he's brilliant. And a lot of people adding mile per hour there, and it leads to the Trevor Bowers of the world wondering, what you're doing down there in Houston? What's going on? Is there... Is there magic to the added velocity? Do you know something other people do not? Well, I think if you look at it, the, the, the added velocity thing's a bit of a myth. You know, you know, Charlie Morton was touching 98 with Philadelphia the year before we acquired him. Garrett Cole was 99 to 100 touching it with the Pirates. It's, you know, we're not adding velocity. We're, we're getting guys that try to kind of maximize based on what they already can do. We're not uh, some sort of, of magicians in that way. Um, and so it's really about that. This is not magic. It's more science. Hmm. Kevin, where do you, where do you fall and where does the organization fall when it comes to, uh, defensive shifting? And from the perspective of a front office person, 
uh, like yourself, put that hat on and then take that hat off and put on the one of a fan uh, and how it impacts the game. Um, you know, obviously we were one of the teams that, that uh, were an early proponent of shifting. We shifted a lot early on when, when it was not a commonplace thing. And now that it is a commonplace thing, we're still among the leaders in shifting. And so, uh, look, I mean, I, I don't see anything wrong with trying to be right. I, I see nothing wrong with saying, what's the best place to put someone to get hitters out? And and I think there's nothing wrong with good defense. And, and I think that's all we're trying to do is what's the optimum place to, to put, you know, get a guy out. And, you know, I, the arguments I see against the shift don't really make a lot of sense to me personally. I understand the competition committee is going to do what they do and, you know, we'll adjust to that. But, you know, the fact that this is somehow hurting offense, I, I don't think it's really a, a big thing. You, you, um, so you don't you think know, the left-handed hitters are impacted by, by shifting more than – more I think right. left-handed hitters have the ability to make adjustments. They do. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the game is, is an organic thing, and I'd wa- rather watch the game change organically than through any sort of mandated thing. Well, that, I understand that. I just don't know that it will because you don't get paid um, for going the other way. You get paid for launching it over the shift. So I don't know that the incentive enough is there for players to adjust and create more action because – uh, would, would you agree that there's not enough action uh, in the game today in terms of selling it? Uh, but although that's I, not your concern, obviously. I, I, I would counter your first point and say, you know, look, last week we signed Michael Brantley. And, and Michael Brantley was one of our top free agent targets, and we're thrilled to add him to the outfield. And one of the things that attracted us most about Michael Brantley was the fact that Michael Brantley makes a ton of contact. You know, Michael Brantley is a guy, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, one of the leaders in contact. That contact is often hard. And so to say that that's, that's not a skill that is valued in today's game, I, I, I think I, I would completely counter that because it's, it's a skill that Michael Brantley had that we valued incredibly. It was one of the reasons he was one of our first targets. Well, then, then maybe that is the kind of organic sh- uh, change of philosophy that we need to see, more guys willing to do that and then being compensated for that. You think that will happen over time as opposed to legislating like baseball might do? I guess I would say I hope it, that's how it happens as opposed to legislating. But if it gets legislated by baseball, it's, it, it, it's something we'll adjust it. Kevin, do you think that the, the, there ought to be a restriction or a, uh, a specific point on the calendar during which moves are or are not allowed? Uh, because we are entering the second year, I think, where some of the biggest deals may not happen for several months. And, you know, it's just kind of a it's a very, very long offseason. And you've got to be on your toes, as do we, every moment of the entire time. I mean, sir, it's, it's, I'm not for it. I believe in, a, in, a, in a, when it comes to, to baseball transactions, I believe in a free market. And, and uh, teams have the, the right and then players have the right to negotiate in, in, in any manner they, they think is fine. And, you know, there, there is a calendar. The calendar spring training, we are all, we're all going to show up in West Palm Beach on February 13th. And so, you know, we would like to have our team set by then. And what happens in between then is what happens in between them. That's also something that I think we're seeing growing organically. And look, I would love for some things to happen earlier. I had to push my January vacation back last year three times. Uh, you know, I had a very unhappy wife because of that. <laughs> but at the same time, this is how the market is, is, is changing and this is how the market is, is, is turning. And I, at times it makes more sense to be more to be more of, a, of someone who waits. I, I, you know, it's not a good thing. I don't know if you guys are auction. I'm a guy who goes to a lot of auctions. It's not a good thing always to, to buy the first thing that comes up on the lot. It's not always good. It's more likely to sit back and see which what something that you like that might be late in the auction. 
And so we're in a situation where, you know, we were aggressive this year on catcher. We went and got Robinson Chirinos to fill a, a void we had in the catching thing. Uh, we signed Michael Brantley because he was one of our top targets. So, you know, we're not just sitting back and, and, and waiting for everything to fall. We're being aggressive where we want to be aggressive, and we're waiting where we think it's best to wait. A smack dab in the middle of their winning window. The Astros uh, remain active. Kevin, nice to talk to you, uh, and someday I will, I will get you to tell me specifics on the science of how you guys do things so I can be smarter than the next guy. Someday. <laughs> Never going to happen. Oh, <laughs> Kevin, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, guys. All, All right. right. That's Kevin Goldstein, special assistant to the general manager of the Houston Astros. Um, to, to You're circle- going to have to take them out for a few drinks before that happens. I, yeah, well, I, I've got plans. Okay. So, some poker and a few drinks. Yep. And maybe play some buzzcocks for, for yeah. Kevin Goldstein, and I could ply him and get information. I would like a guy like that working for me because you're not getting anything out of him right. that is uh, solely for his employers and the betterment of his team. Right. Well, and remember that there was all that that went on with the Astros, his boss, Jeff you, Lunau, you, and the Cardinals. You did your very best. I, yeah. <laughs> you, did your, you did a nice job. I will stay on it. Uh, to circle back to something, uh, this came from a, a source who should know during our conversation about Addison Russell and whether the Cubs knew these details. Uh, and I, I was told directly this from a source I trust. Cubs not only were aware of these details, but made their decision independent of whether it would get out. They talked at length with Melissa Reedy before moving forward and based much of their decision on her input. So they had this and they had the context when whether it was going to get out or not, uh, according to this source, would not have changed their mind on the decision they made to tender him a contract. We have yet to hear personally from Addison. And at some point I'm told by his representatives, by Cubs people that he will verbally talk about his situation. We we have his statement. We had the statement by the Cubs. I think a lot of people feel that they need to hear from Addison Russell at some point. It's 670 the score. Let's get an update on the free agent market and more with our friend Bob Nightingale from USA Today and then Yonder Alonzo of the White Sox later in the next hour as well. Keep it here on the score. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.